Psalm 84, to the choir master, according to Giveth, Psalm of the son of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow finds a nest for herself. Where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are on the highways to Zion as they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Oh, Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Oh God of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. God, thank you today for inviting us into your presence. And we are here today to meet with you. And I pray that the goodness of the Lord, your goodness, would fall upon our lives today in a powerful way. And God, I just pray that you would uh, draw us to yourself. And as you do that, I pray that you would change us to be like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open it with me now to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Uh, We've been in a journey over the past few months of walking through book three of the Psalms. And today we land here at Psalm 84. It's one of the most exciting and compelling invitations uh, in God's Word. For our 25th uh, wedding anniversary, Gail and I went to England and Scotland Uh, We spent two weeks experiencing the places and traces of our family heritage. And I'll never forget going to the Westminster Cathedral. Just a massive, massive structure. Uh, It's a place where royal celebrations take place. It's a place where kings and queens and famous rulers of England actually are buried inside that cathedral. Uh, there are very, very high ceilings that just are designed to draw your attention to the majesty of God. Uh, the pillars are, are huge that hold that massive structure up and are, are, are so attractive. And then the, 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 the elements around, the fixtures in the cathedral, many of them are overlaid with gold. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful structure, a massive structure. But the thing that stood out to me the most with the Westminster Cathedral was not so positive. It actually is no longer a place where the gospel is proclaimed. It's no longer a place where the name of God is magnified. It's no longer a place where the will of God is pursued. It's just a big, spiritually empty cathedral. It's a tourist attraction. 
It raises a couple of questions for me in my mind as we think about our relationship with God, our pursuit of God. What constitutes a place where God dwells? You know, I think about this this Westminster Cathedral and all of its majesty. It was built to honor God. It was built to draw people into the presence of God. And then I think about our missionaries who are here today, Ken Buckner, a lot of times in Africa, in Zambia. Uh, the, 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 the place where God dwells and where God is worshipped is just right out in the open, out in the open air where you, know, you see the creation of God, the majesty of God, and you're, you're drawn to, to worship Him. So what constitutes a place where God dwells? Another question is, what does passion for God really look like in true worship? And that's where I want us to go today. For the psalmist, worship was associated with a place, and that place was represented as the dwelling place of God. It was the place where where God visited with His people. It was Mount Zion, which was just outside the city of Jerusalem, the city walls of Jerusalem. That place was associated with the name of God. There was a passion in the heart of the psalmist to dwell where God dwelt. And again, that place represented the presence of God for him. He had a passion for a place because he had a passion for God. Now, that raises a question in my mind for you and me. But before you came here today, or before you take a step out into every day of your life's journey, do you have a passion to join with God? Do you have a passion to dwell in His presence? Do you have a passion to fellowship with Him as you come into a corporate experience like this, or as you go out to take on the the wiles of the devil in the, the world around us? Well, Psalm 84 gives us a picture of what true worship and truly dwelling with God looks like. When true worship takes place, the presence of God is what's enjoyed. So, What does it take to cry out to God in worship? What does it mean to cry out to God in worship? Well, it starts by knowing God. It starts by having a passion for your relationship, your experience, His presence with you and and your presence with Him. And there's some characteristics that come with a passion for God that this psalm pulls out and plugs into our life. So, Let's look at three of these characteristics that the psalmist pulls out about a relationship with God and wants to plug into our lives today. First of all, we see in verse 1 of Psalm 84 that praise flows from a passion for God. Praise flows from a passion for God. The psalmist had this passion This burning desire to be in God's presence. Look at verse 1. He says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. So for the psalmist, praise just burst forth when he even thought about the dwelling place of God. Passion for God's dwelling place flowed from his heart that was fully devoted to God. So what about your heart? Where is your heart today? Is your heart, real question, is your heart fully devoted to God? And do you have a passion that draws you to fellowship with God, to live life with vigor and fervor as your overflow from God takes place in in your life? In verse 2, he says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. So the cry for the presence of God for the psalmist was too great for him to hold inside. He had to let it out. He had to express it. And that should be the testimony of our life as well. Just thinking about God produced this overwhelming joy for him. 
And I trust that you have that same kind of experience with God. It's kind of like, I mean, this is kind of a, a, a weak example, but I think it does communicate. Um, my wife and I have been married for over 46 years, and I love to be in the presence of my wife. I love to be in the presence of my home. There's a sense of security. There's a sense of joy. There's a sense of comfort with my wife and in my home. Several times in my lifetime, over the ministry years, I've had the opportunity and the privilege and the assignment to go to different places and uh, share ministry and share mission work for a week or two. And every time that's happened, there's always been that longing to get back home. There's been that longing to get back to that place of strength and that place of, of comfort. Is, is that the way your life is with God? Do you have that burning passion in your heart to be with God at all times? Secondly, we, we, we see where as praise flows from our life in verse 3, look at it, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise, Selah. So being with God, being in the presence of God, is the envy not just of human beings. It's a natural desire that God puts in your soul to communicate with Him. But all of creation, the psalmist points out that the sparrow finds a home in verse 3, the swallow a nest for herself. Animals have this longing to be cared for by God. They have this dependence upon God that He cares and they want to be in His presence. And so the psalmist says all of creation is blessed by having this passion for God. So think about these things. British hymn writer Tim Hughes puts it this way. He says, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy. You're altogether wonderful to me. Is that your expression in your relationship with God? Do you live in the anticipation and expectation of, of being overwhelmed constantly by His wonder, by His majesty? by the loveliness of His name, by the fact that He has done everything to demonstrate to you how wonderful He is. That kind of passion to God presents kind of a, an overflow in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Whether you're going through life or whether you're going through death, whether you're going through the down valley times of life, whether you're in the up times of life, at all times, rejoice in the Lord. Again, he says, rejoice. Is that the experience of your relationship with God? Do you have that kind of ever-flowing, bubbling over, effervescent kind of joy in your heart as you have that passion Burning desire for God. In verse 3, he says, Even the sparrows finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, and that she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Now, the altar. The altar is the place where restored spiritual life begins and through which it flows. What is an altar? We, I grew up in a church tradition where, you know, we had altar calls where people would come down to the front and kneel and pray. And there's a, there's a value to that. There's a validity to that. And I would encourage you to take advantage of uh, that kind of experience as you experience the quest that you have in your heart for the joy of the Lord. But an altar for the psalmist went deeper than that. It was a place of dedication. It was a place of devotion. And it was a place of death. Sacrifices had to be made because of the sin of God's people. Something had to die to pay the price for the penalty of sin. 
And that's what an altar represents. It's just like a cross. We have the crosses and we, we celebrate the cross. But the cross is more than just a trinket to wear around your neck. It's more than just a trinket to hang on the wall. A cross represents death. God killed His Son, Jesus, to allow His blood to pay the price for the penalty of my sin and your sin. And that's what the altar represents. The altar of sacrifice is perfectly represented in the fact that Jesus laid down His life to pay the price for the penalty of your sin so that in appreciation for what He's done for you, you will be drawn to Him and worship will flow out of your life as you realize the blessing that He has given you through the gift of salvation through Jesus. So the altar is a place of dedication. Have you dedicated your life to knowing God and to serving Him? It's a place of devotion. Have you come to the place in your life where you said, God, I want to make all of life about Jesus. That's what devotion is. It's committing totally, 100%, to making every part of life about Jesus. And then have you realized that the altar is a place of death? We die to ourselves. I've been crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 16. I've been crucified. Chapter 1 verse 16. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Death is represented by the altar. So our passion for God begins at the altar. Dedicate your life to Him. Devote your life to Him. Realize that He died so that you could live a life in community with Him. Verse 3, At your altars, O Lord, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. See, passion for God, passion for God is actually killed by being dedicated or devoted to anything that takes priority over God in your life and my life. Killed. So is anything taking priority over God's presence in your life today? How do you know if God is taking priority over your life? Well, let me ask you, is is anything more valuable, is anything at higher value to you than being connected with God and worship to Him every day and then giving glory to Him every day? The altar, again, is where sacrifice was made for sin. Passion for God is killed when we forget that Jesus suffered and died at the altar of sacrifice for us. And celebrating that sacrifice when we know that He's paid it all. And when we know that we owe it all to Him, then we are drawn to Him to constantly worship Him with singing and praise. Do you see that in the psalmist expression here? It overflows naturally. So characteristic number one is having a passion for God. Your praise flows from a passion for God. Characteristic number two, we pick up in verses five through nine. Your strength grows for a passion for God. Now the picture in the psalmist's mind here was a pilgrimage. It was a journey that he was taking to meet with God in God's house. He was anxious about the weakness that he felt in his life when he was separated from God. He longed to be back in the presence of God. This same psalmist in Psalm 42 verse 1 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Have you ever been thirsty? The picture here is that deer is so thirsty he's about to die. And he can't wait to get to the spring, the the flowing water to quench his thirst. And that's the way God satisfies the, the, the quench in, in our heart for Him when we draw near to Him, 
when we make sure that nothing separates us from Him and we celebrate, we have that longing in our heart for Him that only one thing will satisfy. Nothing else will satisfy it. And that's reuniting with the presence of God. So, verse 5, he says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That, that indicates to me that there's a desperation factor involved in knowing God and wanting to live in God's presence constantly. Does that describe your life? Do you have a burning desire in your life to be drawn to the presence of God so He can bless you with His strength? Those who are passionate about hanging out with God constantly and faithfully pursuing God are satisfied and strengthened by God. Is that you today? I trust and pray that it is. The blessing of being in God's presence is totally worth the journey to get there. And so he's on a pilgrimage. He's on a journey. He paints a picture of a pilgrimage. And look at verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The valley of Baca is technically a place of weeping. We've all been there. Maybe some of us have been there too recently. But the valley of Baca represents a place of weeping. And when we enter the presence of God, when we go through the valley of weeping and know that God is on the other side, it makes, it makes the journey worth it to get there. The journey to God often means that I must devote effort and time to block out distractions that would come along the way in my pursuit of living in the constant presence of God. The journey to God may include the valley of, 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 of sorrow. It may include the, the, the valley of uh, distress and pain and struggle to get there. The valley of Baca is that, that place of weeping. I think I can draw a picture of maybe what the psalmist had in mind when he talked about the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. When the transfer of power from Israel's leader Moses to Joshua took place, God told Joshua to obey him with all of his heart, and that he would be blessed. After a time of uh, cleansing and purification, after Joshua led the children of Israel miraculously across the Jordan River, the water rolled back, and uh, once again, for the second time in Israel's history, Israel walked across on dry ground. Um, there was a time of cleansing and purification for God's people. <clears throat> but then the first assignment that, that God gave Joshua after crossing over the Jordan, <clears throat> was to go and take, reoccupy the city of Jericho, which had been promised to God before uh, for 400 years. They had been in Egypt and slavery. Now God had brought them back. Jericho was surrounded by a thick wall, a high wall, all the way around the perimeters. It was a well-fortified city. And God told Joshua specifically, to go to Jericho and take his fighting men and for six days in a row march around the city of Jericho. Then on the seventh day, God told him to march around the city of Jericho seven times. And on the seventh time in marching around the city, he told seven priests to blow their trumpets. And he told all the fighting men who had surrounded the city to yell with a loud cry. God's people obeyed him. Joshua obeyed God. And when that cry went up and when those trumpets sounded, the walls of Jericho came down and God miraculously just handed the city of Jericho over to his people. 
Now, I wish the story ended there. But it doesn't end there. The next battle that Joshua led the children of Israel to fight was a little tiny city called Ai. Nothing compared to Jericho. So God's people go to Ai and they get embarrassed. They get totally wiped out by an inferior people. Joshua comes back and he goes into mourning. He prays and God said, what are you doing mourning? There is sin in the camp. A guy by the name of Achan. This is recorded in Joshua chapter 7. A guy by the name of Achan had disobeyed God. Listen to this. He didn't follow the instructions that God gave Joshua. He sinned against God. He took some spoils of war that God had forbidden any Israelite to take, and he hid them in his camp, in his tent. And because of it, the whole nation of Israel suffered a defeat, an embarrassment. Then God told Joshua that Achan had to pay the price for his sin. Achan had disobeyed God's orders, and because he disobeyed God's command, Achan was killed, his family was killed, everything that he owned was destroyed because of his disobedience. That is the valley of Baca. To get from Jordan to Mount Zion, you had to go through the valley of Baca, the valley of sadness, the valley of weeping. And everybody who sang this psalm through the history of Israel, remembered the tragedy of that event. I want to challenge you today to let God's Spirit examine your heart. Is, is there sin in your life that's separating you from the presence of God? Is there sin in your life that needs to be, needs to be repented of? so that you can be restored. Because the end of this story is a happy ending. The end of this journey is that uh, for, um, for the children of Israel, there was, a, there was a time of restoration. There was a time of, of, of forgiveness. And a time, after a time of repentance, there was a time of forgiveness. You may be in broken places today, not because of something you've done. You may be like the Israelites. You may be experiencing brokenness because someone else close to you has taken you to the, to the valley of weeping. Everybody has to go through the valley of weeping to get to the presence of God. And you may be there right now, and I would encourage you, if there is sin in your life, to let the price that Jesus paid for your sin be applied to your life. Ask for forgiveness. Repent of it. Take it seriously. And turn away from it so that the glory of God can draw you back into His presence today. Five of my very good friends have died in the last three weeks. It's been a hard part of the journey. It's been a very uh, distracting part of a journey in ministry for five men that I've been close to in my life have passed through the door that we call death into eternity. There's been some weeping. There's been a valley, and there still is a valley of weeping. But the good news is, fortunately, we can go through any valley of Baca, any valley of weeping, and the end result can be Restored presence of God. From the valley of Baca, God led Israel to a place of transformation. And that's what God wants to do in your life, in my life. We may go through struggles to get there. We will go through struggles to get there. But remember that the gain at the end, the replenishment that God gives, is worth the glory that we will enjoy of being in His presence. Just like Achan, though, sin separates from God. And the place of weeping can be for you and me a place of repentance.
and then a place of restoration. And repentance begins when I feel the weight of my sin. And I repent of it and turn away from it. And ask God to forgive me. And accept His forgiveness and then say, God, I want, I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. Because He will restore you and replenish you. If you repent of your sin and turn away from it and turn back to Him. Verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Oh, how I, I love this verse. This, this Hebrew phrase, strength to strength, it's, like, it's kind of like a, it's like a crescendo. It's that, you know, we get stronger and stronger and stronger along the journey. Uh, there, there's an anticipation of being re-energized. There's, a, there's an anticipation of, maybe for some of you, coming to life for the first time. And feeling the joy of actually living in the presence of God. Knowing how much He loves you. Knowing how much He wants to hold you in the strength of, of His arm. That's what comes from having a burning passion for God. He, he draws us into strength that He has to offer. So the psalmist prays a prayer here in verses 8 and 9, and I want you to make this your prayer today. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointing. Do you ever call on God? And pray to Him just because you enjoy your relationship with Him. See, it's it's one thing to cry out to God in desperation when we're hurting, when we're going through pain, when we're going through that valley of Baca. And that's a good thing, to cry out to Him when we're in pain, when we're in the valley. But God wants us to have so much more. He wants us to enjoy the fullness of His presence, not just in the valley times, but also in the mountaintop times of our life, and all in between. And we have that kind of access to God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. The face of the anointed. Behold our shield, O God. Look at the face of your anointed. Our anointed one is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's the anointed one that God sent to take away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. And when we understand what He paid, the price that He paid for us to be able to live in harmony with Him, step by step, moment by moment, in every day, when we know Him, Look at it. We have the strength of God that grows day by day in our life. Conditions in our world today are tough. I don't have to tell you that. They're tough. At best, they're tough. But as we walk through the challenges of the circumstances of life around us, we can have a growing strength in God if we'll meet Him on His terms and walk with Him through the valleys, on the mountaintops, and all in between. So your praise flows from a passion for God and your strength grows from a passion for God. And then finally today, your life glows from a passion from God. Now I know that might sound a little bit corny to some of you, But it comes right out of this passage. Look at verse 16. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's saying that nothing is better than obeying and serving God. Do you believe that? Nothing. You fill in the blank. Nothing is better than living in the presence of God. Any day or duty 
is better when you experience it in the presence of God. This is just, it's just mind-blowing. God's presence with you means that you are making God the priority in your life. And when you make God the priority of your life, it doesn't get any better than that. Life doesn't get any better than that. So when you have a passion for God, you, you can't hide it. It actually just overflows. You glow when you're in the presence of God. And when the presence of God is exuding from your life. I was in a room this week. <clears throat> Monday night. We were in a pastor's council here. Pastor's council meeting here. And I got a call from the hospital that one of my friends was on his last few hours of life. And so I left here went to the hospital. And I want to tell you what. This friend of mine, after some conversation about knowing the fact that God had forgiven him of his sins and he was living in relationship with God through Jesus, and he kept saying it, I've been forgiven, I've been forgiven, I've been forgiven. But on those last hours on Tuesday when he was breathing his last, he was, he was gasping for breath, but I want to tell you what, there was a glow around him. The corners of his mouth were turned up. I mean, there were, there were glimpses of smiles on his face as he passed from this world through the door of death into eternity. Do you have that kind of assurance in your life? Because if you do, and if you have a relationship with God that's real and constant, there's a glow that comes from your life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. See, you don't have to, you don't have to make your light shine. If, you, if you're living in this kind of presence of God, there is a glow about you that represents God well that represents who God really is and the strength that He really pours into your life. When you live with a passion for God, your life glows. Another songwriter by the name of Daniel Iverson in 1926 wrote a song that I would love to be the theme of my life. He said, Spirit of the living God, all fresh on me. I need that every day. I need to pray that prayer, sing that song every single day because the things of this world pulls the plug out of our joy, drains our life. But when we live in the presence and the Spirit of the living God and God's Spirit falls fresh on us every day, there's that glow that just emanates from our life on a, on a regular basis. And look at the result. Look at the result of how that happens in verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun. What, what, what is so characteristic about the sun? The sun shines. The sun brings warmth and joy to the life of people. The, the, the sun separates us from darkness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. What's a shield? A shield is something that protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy. The Lord God is a sun and a, and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. So as our sun and our shield, God is our source of life. He's the one that breathes joy into the heart and life of every person that has a passion for Him. He's the one that's our protector for everyone who has a passion for the presence of God. He shines His light on those of us who are passionate for Him. And as a shield, He protects His honor. Protects His honor with all who are passionate about Him. So let me ask you, is that you? Is that your experience with God today? Do you have that glow about you that when you're in the arena 
the battlefield. There's a countenance coming from you that points to the glory of God. And when you're having those darts of the enemy come at you, is He your shield to protect you? Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Here's the bottom line. Nothing in life is better than trusting in God. Nothing. Nothing. You put your trust in God and He's going to take you through the valley or pull you out of the valley, whatever His sovereign preference is. He's going to give you an opportunity to praise Him when you're in the valley and when you're in the, on the mountaintop and all in between. There's a burning desire in every soul for God, for the presence of God. So why is everybody not experiencing that kind of joy? That kind of effervescent flowing from the Spirit of God? Let me just give you three quick thoughts about some things. I could give you dozens, but let me just give you three thoughts of things that extinguish passion for God that are like water on a fire when it comes to having a passion for God. I call these passion for God killers. <laughs> Number one is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin breaks your relationship with God. It robs you of energy that God has designed for you to put into your relationship with Him. It's a robber. You can't mix oil and water, can you? And you can't mix rebellion against God. You can't mix sin with the presence of God. They will never mix. They never have. They don't now. And they never will. So sin robs you of the glow that comes from being totally committed to God. And it robs you from the shield of protection from God. The Lord God will be a sun and a shield to those who are passionately pursuing the glory of God in our life. Another passion for God killer is busyness. We get so busy we, we forget about God. We forget about going to God to pull from His glory into our life. You are a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> we weren't designed to be so busy with the schedules in our life that we have no time for God. I want to challenge you to join me in letting passion for God grow by actually spending quality time with God every day. That's the only way we're going to have that overflow from the glow of God in our life. is to be passionate about spending time with Him every day. That's going to require discipline. That's going to require balance in managing lifestyles that make room for God in our life. A third passion for God killer is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict breeds anger and resentment and jealousy and defensiveness, all those kinds of emotions. And, and here's how that works. When, when I'm feeling a broken relationship with another person or a broken relationship with God, the focus of my life then becomes on me. And the focus of my life cannot exist on me and on God at the same time. And so anytime there's a broken relationship with God or a broken relationship with someone else in my life, that means that my relationship with God is broken. And that's where we lose the glow from knowing Him and walking with Him. And I could go on and on and on and on. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to concentrate on making your relationship with God the priority of your life. It's impossible to carry unresolved conflict and passion for God at the same time. 
It's impossible. Now, this is a psalm, as I said before. I love this psalm because it points to the glory of God. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because it's all about Him. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And I want the most glory possible to reflect off of my life and glow into the life of other people. Most reflection possible in every relationship that I have in life. Wednesdays are special days for me. I, on Wednesday night, Morgan, my son, and daughter-in-law have their small group here, and uh, Gail's here working with the worship team on Wednesday nights. And most Wednesdays, I get to hang out with my grandson, Benjamin. I love being with my grandson. Um, I do everything that I possibly can to entertain him. I do everything I possibly can to spoil him. Because I know when the two hours or so goes past, I'm going to be able to leave and leave what I've done with, with, with them. Uh, I try to keep him busy, although that doesn't take much effort because I don't have enough gas in my tank to keep up with him. He is such a busy little boy, two and a half years old, and he's full of all that energy. But I don't care what we're doing. It doesn't matter to me where we are in the house, whether we're outside. It doesn't matter to me what we're doing. When the key hits the door and that doorknob starts to turn, he might look at me, but it's like, bye-bye, rah-rah. And he leaves me and he goes running as fast as he can to that front door. And when he gets to the front door and the door opens, I don't care if it's Allie or Morgan, whoever comes through that door first better be ready because he's coming through the air to jump up in their arms. And they love it. And I love it. I love to watch that. How much more, how much better do you think it makes God feel when we put aside the things of the world and we go running and jump up in His arms. His arms are open wide. Some of you here today maybe have, have never trusted God. Maybe you've never given your life to Him. You need to understand that, that He died for you, sacrificed His life to pay the price to have a relationship with you. And His relationship with you is one with wide open arms. So why don't you just... Run to Him and jump up in His arms today and totally give your life to Him. Make it count. It's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. The passion for God, the passion for God is a pursuit in my life and in your life that God deserves. He deserves nothing less than our total passion. And I would encourage you to get on board today in making Him the passion of your life. Cry out to God because He's waiting for you. By way of application, just one thing. Nothing, nothing in life and eternity is better than living in God's presence. Doesn't get any better than living in God's presence. This morning, as you consider crying out to God, let me ask you, what does passion for God look like in true worship for you? Is the Word of God proclaimed in your life and your worship? Is the name of God magnified in your life and in your worship? Is the will of God the pursuit of your life? Like nothing else, are you pursuing God with all of your heart, with all of your life. I want to challenge you today as I challenge myself. Let's don't let our lives become like the Westminster Cathedral where there's a, a shell on the outside no matter what it looks like, but 
nothing significant going on on the inside. Commit your life to being passionate about God today because it matters. As you cry out to God, cry out to Him to give you that kind of passion for Himself. Whatever place of weeping we have to go through to get there, whatever, have to, whatever place of weeping we, we might have to run through or have somebody pull us through, it's worth it to get there. It's worth it to get there. So I challenge you, be passionate about your worship for God today. Let your praise flow. Let your strength grow. Let your life glow for the passionate glory of God in your life. And even though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, there's no need to fear any evil because He is with you. God, I thank you today that we have the opportunity to have a relationship with you that is real and genuine and, and passionate. God, I would pray for anyone here today who, who never has experienced true life with you. As they hear you calling them, and they have the picture of your open arms, I pray, God, that you will you will help every person here to know that we've had that experience or either have that experience today of feeling the weight of our sin and being willing to turn away from our sin and, and accept the gift that Jesus the Messiah has paid for us and apply that to our life and ask you to forgive us in simple faith. And then turn away from our sin in repentance and turn to you and say, God, I want the rest of my life to be lived passionately pursuing you. Passionately walking with you. God, I pray that would be revealed in our prayer life. I pray it would be revealed in our family life, our relationships with neighbors and our church. And God, I pray for that spirit of revival in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.